following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. In 1936, a man named Dale Carnegie, who is no relation to the Carnegie Steel family, he was a, a lecturer, a teacher, and in, in 1936, he wrote this little book that was kind of a, a work of many of his lectures combined together. You may have heard of it. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. You ever, ever heard How to Win Friends and Influence People? 1936. This book, written in 1936, whether you've heard of it or not, continues to be relevant today. Um, it's, it's number 18 on the best-selling books of all time. It's number eight in the New York Library's list of most checked-out books. The Library of Congress ranked it as the seventh most influential book in American history. Why? Because some of us go, I've never even heard of how to win friends and influence people. Why is this so relevant? Why is this, why is this still so important today? And I think the answer is this. Because everybody wants to leave a legacy. Everybody wants to leave a legacy. You want to win friends. You want to influence people. You want to be remembered. You don't want to feel like I lived this life and then I died and nobody cares. We want to leave our mark on the people and the situations around us. As Paul closes this letter of Colossians to this, this church, remember this group of believers that he has never met, he offers his goodbyes. In doing so, he, he in a sense cements his legacy with them by displaying the breadth of his divine influence granted through Jesus-loving authority. It was given for the good of the church and for the growth and the maturity of the believers. And so as we get into this passage today, the question I want you to ask yourself is this. How can I have the same kind of influence and leave the same kind of legacy in my life that the Apostle Paul would leave on the early church? Well, as Paul closes his letter, he's, he's going he's gonna to give us a little help in how we do that. He's going to give us four very practical pillars of loving Christ-like influence. These are not like high level, we have to discern the in, incredibly difficult theological truths that surround us. No, he is very straightforward. He's very simple in what he says. But he gives us these four practical pillars of a loving, Christ-like influence that we can have if we faithfully live out the gospel calling in our lives. Okay, and the first pillar is going to be this. He's going to say, if we're going to be a loving, Christ-like influence in the life of those around us, we encourage others. We encourage others. Verse 7 through 9 it says, Tychicus, our dearly loved brother, faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. 
I have sent him to you for this purpose so that you may know how we are and so that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother who is one of you. They will tell you about everything here. We encourage one another. Paul here says, listen, church, I'm sending you, like you're getting this letter. So you'll notice that with this letter has come two messengers. Tychicus is, is probably the, the official letter carrier. He's the one that Paul gave the letter to. He's gonna take it to the church. He'll probably be the one who reads it to the church. So you've got Tychicus and then you've got Onesimus who is, it says, a fellow Colossian, right? He says, he is one of you. Onesimus is is from Colossae. You may know his name if you've read the book of Philemon. Onesimus is the, the runaway slave turned faithful brother in the faith. But what we see of these two men is that they were faithful servants. They were faithful servants to Christ. They were faithful servants to the to the church, and they were faithful servants to Paul. And they came with this letter to bring ministry news to Colossae so that the church knew what was going on. Paul's given his instructions. We've seen this through this whole letter of what Paul has instructed to the church. But here he says, hey, they're going to tell you about what's going on here. They're going to tell you about how you are not alone They're going to tell you about even though you're going through these hard times, God's doing amazing things through the gospel. They're going to bring this incredible encouragement to the church. You ever ever get an email and you look at the, where it's coming from? Or you ever get a, a, a call on your phone you take your phone out of pocket and you see your number and you just go, oh, you ever do that? Like, I don't know if I can pick up this call today. I don't know if I can even look at this email right now. Then you ever get an, an email that you can't click on quick enough or a phone call that like you see the number and you just smile. Like you're so excited that you get to answer that call. What's the difference? The difference is the person calling and the message they're bringing. If we want to be a positive influence in the lives of those around us, we must be encouragers. Encouragers are the people you want to hear from, right? If you know that if you pick up that call, you're going to get some incredible words of encouragement, you want to pick up the call, don't you? If you're going to pick it up and you know all you're going to hear is complaining and grumbling and bitterness, do you want to pick up the call? No. If we want to be influential in the lives of others, we must be encouragers. We must speak life and hope and the love of Jesus Christ into those around us. And like we said last week, there's a place and a time for instruction, for correction, even for rebuke. There's a biblical time for that. But without encouragement, that instruction, correction, and rebuke will always fall on deaf ears because people don't want to hear your correction and your rebuke if you haven't encouraged them. 
Your lasting impact, my lasting impact, our lasting impact in the world around us will in large part, whether we like this or not, will in large part reflect the language we speak to others. However it is that we choose to speak to other people is how we will be remembered. Now, James says in James 3, 10, 11, blessing and curses come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? And the answer is no, right? What, what Paul shows us, what James says here is that you can say you believe whatever you want. You can say you are whatever kind of person you want to say you are. But your speech to others will reflect who you truly are and what you truly believe. So if you want to have that Christ-like loving influence, you must be an encourager. And now for some of you, that's super easy. You're like, I don't even have to try. Like, that's just who I am. God bless you. Like, like I love you guys. Some of you are like me and it just doesn't feel like it comes natural. Right? You got to work a little harder at it. You got to put a little more effort. That's okay. This doesn't say if we want to be a loving Christ-like influence, we have to just naturally encourage others. No, but learn to do it. Learn what it means to encourage others, to build them up. Listen, what do we really want our legacy to be? How do we really want to be remembered by those we spend time around? We must be encouragers. So we encourage others. Paul goes on, he gives us a second pillar. He says, if we want to be a loving Christ-like influence, we, we must encourage others but also we love others. We love others. Verses 10 through 14. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark, Barnabas's cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And so does Jesus, who is called Justice. These alone of the circumcised are my co-workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. For I testify about him that he works hard for you, for those in Laodicea and for those in Heropolis. Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. We love others. Okay, here Paul gives the rest of his greetings from other people. And, and he gives this, this greetings through, there's really six men that he names that send their greetings to the church. Aristarchus, Mark, Justice, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. Right? Three of these men you may know if you've, if, if you've spent time studying the book of Acts. Right? You, you, you might know Mark. Right? Mark is probably the one who wrote the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. Um, he, he followed, um, he, uh, yeah, he wrote the book of Mark. Right? You might know Epaphras. If you were with us in our study of Colossians 1, 
We talked about Epaphras was the one who planted the church in Colossae, right? It says he is one of you. Again, he is from Colossae. You probably know the name Luke too. Luke is the author of Luke and Acts, right? We see him through the book of Acts um, often as well. Now, the other three men you probably don't know as well, and there's good reason because we don't know much about them, right? Whether it's, uh, whether it's Aristarchus, uh, Justice or, or, or Demas, we get a few verses here and there about who they are, but we don't know a lot about these guys, which is why you probably don't know a lot about these guys. Because we're not given much about them. But there's a common thread through all six of these men. One common thing that runs through these greetings, and it's the reminder that the church is being labored over in love, not just by Paul, but by many others as well. See, if we want to be loving Christ-like influence in the lives of others, we must love others. Just as these six men loved the church. We must be agents of Jesus' love for them, seeking their best with every word and every deed in our lives. When we look back at verses 10 through 14, we see that these men act in love, whether it's just in their greetings in verse 10 and 14, to the comfort they seek for the church in verse 11, the prayers they offer for the church in verse 12, and for the work that they do on behalf of the believers in verse 13. There is this constant, we love you, we love you, we are working for you. We must be agents of Jesus' love in the lives of others. And I don't want to labor this point because we talked about it uh, two weeks ago. So if you missed, you can go back online. You can watch the service from two weeks ago. Go listen to the podcast. Listen to that message if you missed, if you missed it. But the fact is, we must be a people who love others. Okay, so how, what does that mean? Right, that's a great, none of us would go, I don't think that's true. I don't think we need to love anybody. Maybe you do. I don't know. I don't think any of you would say that. But what does that really mean? Like, how do we, how do, we do that? If we want to love others, it means that regardless of one's political affiliation, we pray God's goodness upon them. If we really want to love others, means regardless of one's spiritual belief, we speak Christ's compassion over them. If we really want to love others, it means regardless of one's moral convictions, we seek Jesus' grace and mercy for them. See, to love others means seeking their best. It means praying Christ over them means pointing them back to the love, the grace, and the mercy of the only one who can save and deliver. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It doesn't matter how much you agree with them or disagree with them. It's a question of will we love them? In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36 There's this interesting story of Jesus. 
In verse 35, it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Okay, that tracks, right? That's what we know about Jesus. Verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and rejected like sheep without a shepherd. Question, question. Are all of these people following Jesus? Do all of these people that Jesus loves and has compassion on them, are, are, are they they're like, yes, Jesus is the Messiah and we believe exactly what the Old Testament tells us about the Messiah. Were all of these people that Jesus has compassion on good people? Were they all nice people? Were they all faithful? I'm gonna guess no because I've never seen an entire collection of good, perfectly faithful, loving Christ-like people. You guys are as close as we get. (laughs) Jesus sees them as God's children, God's creation. He says, you may not know who I am. And Jesus knows some of them are never gonna trust him and accept him. And he loves them. He loves them so much that when you get into the next few verses in Matthew chapter 10, verse one through five, Jesus says, listen, disciples, you guys go out and do what you see me do. He empowers the disciples to go and to serve and share his love with those they come in contact with. Not because everyone's a, a, a faithful Jewish believer or trusting in Jesus as the Messiah, but because Jesus loves them. Listen, do we love people in such a way that they feel the love of Christ by coming in contact with us? Does the way we speak, the way we act, the way we treat every single person we come in contact with, does it display the love of Jesus Christ in their lives? We want to be a loving Christ-like influence. We have to love others. That's all others. How's that for your uncomfortable truth for the morning? If you don't like that, that's okay. Don't come to complain to me. Jesus said it, not me. So we encourage, we encourage others. We love others. Moving on to the third pillar. If we want to be loving Christ-like influence in the lives of others, number three, we serve others. We serve others. Verses 15 through 17. Paul writes, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her home. After this letter has been read in your gathering, have it read also to the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, pay attention to the ministry you have received in the Lord so that you can accomplish it. We serve others. At this point, Paul stops relaying the greetings from other people, and he goes on to give his final final greetings and and one instruction to close this letter. He greets the, the formal churches of Colossae and in, in Laodicea. Remember, these two are roughly about 11 miles apart. 
And he says, I've written letters to both of you. Read your letters, trade them so that you can all learn from, from one another. And then he greets this, what's probably more of an informal church meeting in the home of, of Nympha. And at the same time, he encourages this, this archipus to continue in the work that God has set before him. So the question that I have in reading this is, Paul's given this whole letter of instruction. He, he's talked about, okay, Church of Colossae, here's what you need to do. Here's how all this stuff works. Understand the gospel. Understand how you stand firm in the gospel. Okay, now, greetings to all of you. And then what does he ask for himself? These verses, what, what, is, what does Paul ask that they do for him? Nothing. He doesn't ask anything for himself. The one prayer he's asked for in this letter uh, to, to Colossae was, was in, uh, we saw last week in verse four, where Paul asks for an open door for the gospel. That's the one thing Paul asked for himself, and it's not even for himself. It's for the work of the kingdom. He says, pray for me that there would be an open door that I could take the gospel into the world, that I would have opportunity to speak the love, the grace, and the mercy of Jesus Christ. That's all he asks for himself. What he does, he does to serve the kingdom, to build the church. If we want to be positive influence in the lives of others, we must seek to serve them. And I'm not saying, listen, you should never do anything for yourself. Because if you're doing something for yourself, you're probably doing something wrong. No, that's, that's not the point at all. You can do things for yourself. Right? You can have a nice home. You can drive nice vehicles. You can take good vacations. You know what? Praise God if you can do some things for yourself. But, there's always a big but, isn't there? But, as we imitate Christ... Our focus moves off of ourselves and we begin to see our lives not as some opportunity to make the most so that I feel the most fulfilled and satisfied, but we see our lives as a tool for the gospel to love and care for others. When Paul writes to the church in Corinth in chapter three, verses three through six, he says this, he says, you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts, such as the confidence we have through Christ before God. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers in a new covenant, not of letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What Paul's saying here is he goes, listen, you guys, you guys are a letter. You guys are God's letter to the world. The importance of a letter is it ever really the letter? Is it the paper, the ink, the envelope, the stamp? Is that what makes a letter important? No. What makes the letter important is the message that it carries. It's, the letter is simply the medium through which the message is delivered. See, you and I are not the message. How good our lives are is not the message. 
The things we do is not the message. We simply deliver the message. We are tools at God's disposal. The power and the message that we deliver is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power, the message we deliver is the fact that we serve the God who created the heavens and the earth in six days, rested on the seventh. It's the fact that that God created us to walk in perfect harmony with him, to live in his presence and gave us everything we could ever want and ever desire and ever need to do that. And yet because of our stubborn hearts, we sin, we turn away, we rejected him. And when God should have walked away, instead of walking away from us, he gave us time and 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 time again an opportunity to repent and come back to him. And every time he gave us a chance to repent and come back to him, we reject him again. Until he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born of a virgin in a manger in a dirty little cave in Bethlehem so he could live that perfect life that you and I were created to live but failed to do. Also that he could be put to death and die the death that you and I deserve to die. Also that he could rise victoriously, conquering sin and death once and for all in a way that you and I never could. Also that he could stand before the Father, take his seat, so that when you and I stand in judgment before the good, holy, and perfect God, we're not judged for the ways that we have failed because none of us want that judgment. Instead, we are judged according to the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message we carry, that we are not good enough. We never have been good enough. We never will be good enough, but we serve the God who is, and that is all that we need. Listen, in our moments of brutal honesty, when we look at the things we do, we look at the, our acts of religion, we look at our acts of service, we look at the ways we live our lives, can we honestly say that we do what we do for the glory of God's kingdom and we do what we do as messengers of the gospel? Or do we do it for ourselves? Do we do it so that we'll feel better? I'm not asking you to answer that this morning because I don't want to answer it in front of you. But if we want to be a loving Christ-like influence, we must see ourselves as the deliverers of that message, as those who serve others for the glory of God's kingdom. Last one. If we want to have a loving Christ-like influence in the lives of others, Paul says this fourth pillar, right? We encourage others, we love others, we serve others, and last, we bless others. We bless others. This last verse, Paul says, I, Paul, am writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. Paul offers three final thoughts in this short verse. He says, I write this greeting with my own hand. That's significant. Paul is in prison. 
He is chained up. The whole rest of the letter, he's been dictating to a secretary who writes it down for him. But here, as he signs off, he uses his own hand to write it out so that they would see that it is Paul who is writing. It's a, it's a, a message of authentication that this is truly from Paul. Because they understand that it is his hand that writes this. Next, he says, remember my chains. And we just said, Paul doesn't ask anything for himself. And you could read this and go, well, Paul says, remember my chains. He's wanting us to remember everything he's going through. He wants us to feel bad for him. He wants us to have pity for him. That's not what he's doing. It's not a personal request or an expression of a need. Paul is reminding them of the blessing that he has to share in the afflictions of Christ. He says, hey guys, guys, remember this. Remember my chains. I'm not suffering. I'm where God wants me. I have this incredible opportunity for the gospel because I am in chains. Don't forget that your suffering doesn't have to be useless or pointless. I have the blessing of sharing the afflictions of Christ. He's talked about this in in other places and in in some of his other letters. In in Philippians 3.10, he says, my goal is to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul says, this is what I want. I get to share in Christ's affliction. In 2 Timothy 1.8, he says, hey, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He says, I get to know the power of God. I get to know a closeness with God because of these chains. Don't feel bad for me. Rejoice in my chains. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4.13. He says, rejoice as you share in in the sufferings of Christ so that you may also rejoice with great joy when his glory is revealed. Right, you hear it? Don't let the suffering beat you down. Don't let the struggle overwhelm you. Is your God still God? Is Jesus still in control? Yeah? Okay. He says, remember my chains. I'm here for a purpose. Finally, he says, grace be with you. This is Paul's closing comments here. And it's a a common formula in his letters. But it's always a sign of significant blessing. He says, may God's grace be upon you. It's a blessing to his faithful and beloved spiritual children in Colossae. He's blessing others as he sits in prison, not knowing if he's going to live or die, not knowing what's going to come next. But he says, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I am here and I'm going to celebrate that. And I'm going to bless you. Not because of who you are, not because of who I am, but because of who my God is. It reminds me of one of my, my favorite stories in the, in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 11, you get the story of Jephthah. And if you remember the story of Jephthah, he's, the, uh, he, he's a Gileadite. His, his father is, is Gilead. His mother is a prostitute. And after having him, his father goes on to have more children. And Jephthah's brothers and sisters know he's this illegitimate son in their family. And so they run him off. He goes off into hiding. 
He becomes a strong fighter, a great warrior, while he has been kicked out of his family. But over the course of time, his family becomes endangered and under attack. They can't quite stand up to these attacks that are coming. So who do they turn to? Jephthah. They go to him, they're like, hey, um, so brother, uh, I know we ran you out and all, but do you want to come back and fight for us? What's your answer? No. <laughs> no thanks. But Jephthah goes, listen, here's the deal. If God will give us victory, I'm going to come fight. And if God gives us victory, I will lead you. And what happens is you get to the end of, of chapter 11, verse 32. It says, Jephthah crossed over uh, to the Ammonites to fight against them, and the Lord handed them over to him. See, Jephthah went to fight, not because this was his family that he loved, they had a great relationship with, and they were all really close, and so he wanted to protect them. No, he went to fight for the glory of God's people. He says, you guys have rejected me, you have turned me away, but you know what? You're still God's children, and so I'm gonna fight, and God's gonna deliver us a victory. Driven out, rejected, Jephthah saves his brothers for the Lord's glory. Listen, we could go through a study of what it means to bless others, right? And that would be a really deep and rich study that we don't have time for today because we'd have to go into the, the Hebrew and the Greek and the ancient Near East, Near East culture and Old Testament worship and a lengthy discussion of, of so much more than we have time to go into today. But let me give you a, just a functional idea of what it means to bless others. At its very core, to bless others is this to be attuned to the Holy Spirit in such a way that we meet the needs of others at their point of need. To be attuned to the Holy Spirit in such a way that we meet the needs of others at their point of need. To bless others isn't about where we desire to make an offering. It's about understanding the needs of those around us and meeting their needs. To bless others is choosing to go out of your way to do the hard work of getting to know someone and getting to understand what's going on in their lives so that you can bless them by meeting their needs. It's being willing to say, you know, that's not really my personality to do this thing, but I see the need, so I'm going to meet it. It's opting to delay our own personal gratification to give time, money, energy to someone else. Even though if we're being brutally honest, we'd rather not. To bless others is to understand how the Holy Spirit works, how the Holy Spirit speaks so that you can recognize the needs in others and meet that need at the point of their need, not making them come to you, not making them do the hard work so that I can bless you, but only if you'll do this, this, and this. No. It's blessing them for the glory of our God and King. Listen, is our presence in the lives of others a blessing to them? Would your neighbors, would your friends, would the 
your extended family, with the people who aren't super close to you, call you a blessing. We bless others. As we look back on this letter that Paul writes to the church in Colossae, we remember that Paul had two important purposes in this whole letter. First, he established the depth and the beauty of the gospel. And second, he reminded the church to stand unwaveringly in the truth and the authority of that gospel. Paul's authority in instructing these people that he had never met didn't come from his intelligence, his wisdom, his life experience, his standing in the early church. It came from his surrender to God's calling and his compassion for the church. The Colossians listened to Paul because they knew that he would encourage them, he would love them, he would serve them, and he would bless them. And he would do this not for his own gain, but for theirs, so that the kingdom of God could be glorified, so that the sacrifice of Jesus Christ could be magnified, and so that the power of the Holy Spirit would be honored and embraced in their midst. Church family, as we contemplate this morning the legacy that we will leave in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in in whoever God brings across our paths, May we seek to be influential for the sake of Jesus Christ. Let us be known for how our every every thought is expressed. Let's be known for every word that we speak and every act that we practice before a watching world. Let us be known that all of those things reflect the sacrifice, the love, the grace, the mercy, and the joy of Jesus Christ and the salvation in which we rejoice through him. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. We thank you for the truth and the beauty of the gospel. We thank you for the strength that we have to stand firm in it, not because we are strong, not because we are wise, not because we have anything to offer, but because you are exactly who you say you are. And Lord, as we recognize that as we celebrate that. Lord, may we be prepared to go out into the world around us and be a loving Christ-like influence. Not so that we would be remembered for ourselves, but so that much would be made of the gospel. Because we know that we, if we are brutally honest, that we have nothing to offer this world. We have nothing worthy of remembering. But you are everything. You are everything. And Father, let us never forget that you are the joy that we want remembered, the hope we want remembered, the grace, the mercy, the wisdom, the everything. It is you and it is you alone. And so, Father, we, we thank you and we praise you. We proclaim your great and awesome name, 
every thought of our minds, every word of our mouths, and every work of our hands. In your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.